0: to another episode of Roll or Die. Today we have a guest all the way from Perth. We're hitting the Perth scene pretty hard. We are uncovering some absolute legends out there and today's guest is one of them. He's the head coach of Scrappy MMA. He's a pretty active competitor and we're looking forward to getting to know him a little bit more. He is Pablo Torrealba. Thanks for joining us, Pablo.
1: Thanks for having me on, guys.
2: Awesome, man. Wow. Okay. So scrappy MMA. It's like, it's got a it creative visual. What's it like in the club, man? What's the culture of scrappy MMA like?
1: Uh, it's good. It's, um, I mean, like most gyms, who's going to really say that their gym is not a good place with friendly people and, and good instructors and a good vibe, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's as good as it's. Nah, nah, I probably shouldn't say it's as good as any other gym. <laughs> nah, it's good. It's, it's, it's good. They um, the the guys that are there train seriously because there's there's a lot of serious competitors, more on the MMA side. That's kind of why I ended up getting not stuck, but um, involved and really committed. That's the word, committed to the gym because I fought yeah. MMA through that. Oh. Um, it's definitely not the same vibe as a traditional jujitsu gym. Just because it is MMA focused, and they've got some some semi some not semi some big names like as big as you can get in MMA. So, nice. Yeah,
2: beautiful.
0: Awesome. No, I I love the name. That's um, a really unique name, I think, for a gym. Mm. And um, did you come up with it, or was it already named that?
1: No, it's kind of a longish story. The guy that runs the gym used to work there, and it used to be called the MMA Clinic. And then, mm-hmm. from my understanding, I could be wrong, but uh, he ended up buying the business and rebranding it. And there's something in the past there where his nickname was Scrappy, who's into—he was really into Scrappy Do, because the <laughs> Scrappy yeah. Do's cousin is one of the logos. Um, yes. To be honest, I wasn't a big fan when they called it Scrappy MMA, but then somebody called it the Scrapyard, and I was like, "Oh, that sounds a bit better."
2: Well, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool, Scrapyard BJJ.
2: Awesome, man. And you're the head coach for BJJ, right? Yeah,
1: awesome man. Well, awesome. with um, brayden Sweeney, one of the other guys.
2: Okay, right. Do it
1: together, team.
2: Yeah. Okay. And what's the what's the like for you? Like, what's your what's your BJJ? Like, if people were to drop by, do a scrappy scrappy BJJ class, what are they going to get if they if they catch up with you guys? Because definitely, like, we want to really get to know the Perth scene better as well. A lot of people over here in Melbourne, Sydney, where a lot of our listeners are, they just. They end up, they do go to Perth, but you know, they don't know where to go, where to drop in, what to see. So what are they going to get if they drop in and visit you guys?
1: Um God, I want to say we're like a specialist in something, but really I try to keep it as solid old school basics. And I know some people are like, What are basics? Yeah, nice. There's like uh, there are no basics, but I kind of think that anything that you can do, regardless of body type, is basics. Um right try to kind of focus it around there. We do kind of deviate sometimes. Like recently Sweeney, Braden Sweeney, the other coach, um, covers leg locks. Cause Mm -hmm. I'm just like, as much as I compete in shows and, and locally, I always find that whenever somebody enters my legs, I pretty much just start running away. Like I'll, I'll turn, I'll put my bum on the ground, I'm butt screwed away, I'll, I'll disengage the legs and I'm fine at doing it and I can pass and stuff. But, but the recent comp that I was in, a guy jumped on my legs and I was like, I, I in that moment, I was like, I'm sick of not wanting to engage in this exchange that they want to do. So I've been really focusing on that. So Sweeney did, I think it was like four weeks just on straight leg locks and I've been anybody that's a blue belt on and above. I've no. been doing nothing but leg locks too. So it's mm. starting to pay off slowly. We'll um, so to answer yeah. your question, basically the same as anywhere else, probably a bit more back control stuff mm-hmm. just because of my body type. It kind of lends itself towards back control, so we're probably a bit mm-hmm. heavier into that. Yeah, beautiful. And
0: do you guys teach gi and no gi
1: or only the no gi? Uh, officially. Officially it's gi and no gi. Uh, but being an MMA gym, I there are some weeks where it's really good and I'll get – so like the beginner's no gi classes, 20 to 30 people. Um, the beginners' gee classes have kind of 15 people, and then recently the advanced gee classes that I teach have been like three or four. Hmm. So so there's a noticeable change,
0: I reckon um, that's across the board, yeah, not just at your gym. I see that over here in Melbourne too. So, really, yeah, I I don't know. No gi is definitely more sexy, it's more popular. I don't know what's going on, yeah.
1: Well, the hubbub telling everybody to drop the gi. I kind of miss it. Like, I for Mm. MMA, I got really into no gi because I had to. But now I got, I went to an open mat this morning and one other guy brought a gi and I didn't bring a gi because they told me it was no gi. But now, even the open mats that I go to, there's like a weird little clicky cult group of dudes in the corner doing gi (laughs) where I was before I started. um, So my partner used to train at a gym in Perth. And she knows some guys from back in the day and she reckons that like the Nogi guys were the guys in the corner wearing like spandex and doing all the stuff without the gi and, and jumping on each other's legs and stuff. And it's completely switched now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. man. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely camps of each side, you know. Yeah. Um well and like you said, your partner is into BJJ as well. And yeah. uh
1: she, yeah. got, she got stacked like 18 years ago is eighteen? No, she got stacked a while when she was nineteen, right. and um, she hurt her lot back, and it's just been bad ever since. So she got to purple belt, but she hasn't been able to really train since.
2: Right, that sucks, man. Yeah. But you guys don't look like like say so you you've been with her for eighteen years, or no, 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 no.
1: no. Yeah, okay. I've been with her for three now, but okay. when she was eighteen, she used to do jiu jitsu. No, when she was up to like nineteen or twenty, and then okay. she got a pretty serious injury to her lower back that just hasn't been treatable. So,
2: oh damn, man, sorry to hear that. But jujitsu that's well, really that was,
0: unusual yeah, because yeah. so your partner, your female partner, introduced you to jujitsu. Is that what you're saying?
1: No, no, no. We oh, we no. met on oh. a date. Okay. No. Oh, okay. Yeah,
0: that's
2: jiu- it. turned out jiu- she got to purple belt. That is cool. Like that's that's rare. Yeah. But you like meet someone, some right Tinder or whatever. You meet someone, and then you find out that they got to purple belt in jujitsu and then no longer did jujitsu. Is that what happened? Because that's
1: that's that was, even that hard. was, I was, we met on Bumble and I had on my account, I think a photo with me and a gi mm-hmm. and then um, just getting to know each other. We matched. And then it was like, Oh, what are you into? Do you know what jujitsu is? And I normally ask that question. They say no. And I go, it's kind of like wrestling, but like more aggressive. And, yeah. and she was like, Oh yeah, no, I used to train. I used to be a purple bow. And I was like,
2: that's what? So <laughs> like a purple belt is hot right there. I'll tell you. or so like that's it's real hot. commitment.
1: It's, quite, it's wild, though, that she got to Purple and then she had to stop training. I'm just thinking about, like, you hear about all the people that drop out at Blue, right? Yeah. But then to get to Purple, you're it's, like, a, a big part of your life. Mm. Yeah. Like, 100%. you're probably going to make it all the way, but, mm. yeah, just like that she had that injury and I know she misses it, but, yeah.
0: So she can't come back? It's not something that is uh, repairable?
1: They did a bunch of scans um, from my understanding of it because this was all – way before i met her but they did a bunch of scans and she tried to get a few treatments and went to all the different types of therapies and just nothing kind of took well, what i find weird is they they reckon they did all the scans and nobody could see anything wrong
2: mm. yeah that's weird shit isn't it like yeah yeah it makes you really question like our, our current technologies you know because mm. there's obviously something wrong or she would be training so, <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, like, that's why I'm low key hoping that, like, there's oh, some new, like, local, low cost stem cell shit comes out in yeah. a few years. And we're like, baby, we're back on. But yeah. until that happens, yeah. yeah.
2: This is an interesting topic, though, because we had someone on the show yesterday, uh, our 200th episode, Dan Cherubin. And uh we were talking about, he was talking that there were people at his gym when he first started training who are now, they're black belts, but they no longer train, you know? And I'm like, fuck. At some point, someday, I'm going to be the guy who no longer trains. And that is just, it's actually a very confront, like, they're just lost to jiu-jitsu. People rarely talk about them anymore, I'm guessing. Like, they've still got mates to train, whatever. But it it is such a huge part of our identity. And then at some point, we're going to become someone who no longer trains jujitsu. It's like, whether it happens at black belt or coral belt or white belt or blue belt, eventually all of us are going to find that point, whether we want it or not. And it's it's quite confronting.
1: I feel like that's, I, I'm, I can't imagine that happening to me though. Hmm. Even like when you say that, the first thing I thought was like, okay, the only reason I think that they might've quit and I'm probably completely wrong, but is that they were at a certain level. And then when they started not being able to perform to the expectations that they have in their mind, Mm-hmm. they started to have like this negative feedback loop every time yeah. they went to Jiu and And it's like, nah, nah, I don't want to get beat up by these kids anymore where I'm like, Oh yeah. If you think about it that way and it's just about being able to win. And then as soon as you're not able to win whenever you want anymore, okay, then you're probably not going to make it until the, the old age. But I feel like I'm going to be the old guy that people are going to be like, yeah, roll with Pablo, but just be careful because he still thinks he's capable. Just don't hurt him too much kind of thing. <laughs> I reckon I'm still going to be on the mats when I'm like 60 70 kind of thing.
0: Fuck yeah. yes. I hope yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah, but uh, I feel like I'm I'm not that far away from that actually myself already. So how old are you can I, can we ask? Is it do you
1: I am 45 family? years old.
0: No way. You look like a baby, Uh-oh. man.
1: Oh shit. <laughs> I'm 33.
0: Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. That makes more sense. That, that's important. Cool. Yeah. So, um, you're a pretty active competitor. Yeah. Like you yeah. competed on quite a few of the big shows over there, over in Perth and around the country or just in Perth?
1: No, I am um, M16. I competed on there as well, yeah. that international. So, I ended up winning the belt for 77 kilos and I defended it a bunch of times and then I lost it. Uh, but I haven't been on any of the other the shows around Australia. I was, um, I messaged subversion a few years ago and I oddly enough, o- almost had a match with Luke Martin. I was actually matched up. And then, um, kind of a long story, but I was forced to sell a house that I had built and it ended up costing me a whole bunch of money. So I couldn't justify the cost of taking the weekend off to go and then the cost of the flights and accommodation and shit. So a bit of a missed opportunity, but yeah.
0: Yeah. No, Jiu Jitsu is, uh, it's a weird one because it's kind of like professional, but also still an amateur sport. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Like, I think it's, it's a difficult one to make money from at at this point, would you say?
1: I don't know if you guys are having this in Victoria, but there's been an explosion of gyms since like just before COVID. Hmm. Like, all the way up until just before COVID, we had all the established gyms in Perth, and every now and then, you'd hear whispers of somebody starting a new one, or like they'd start a new one, but it was out on the fringes. Since COVID, there has been uh, Georgia's gym. There's been one in Osborne Park. Uh, there's been another one near Belmont. There, I can't remember all of them, but I remember every time thinking, oh, this gym's going to fail. There's no way. It's a saturated market. And all of these gyms are popping up, and they're succeeding. Wow. The thing is like being such a, I guess I'm risk averse, but like the idea of opening up a gym and giving it all the effort it needs for it to truly grow. I just don't feel like there's enough money in jujitsu to justify that. Mm. Like if I want to, if I want to live comfortably, if I'm cool with like living at the gym for a little bit while it's going and stuff, but I feel like at my age, I'm like, I want, I want to, I want a comfy couch and a a bed in a separate room to the couch kind of thing.
2: yeah fair enough man yes, I, I agree yeah. but there are people out there who've been doing it for a long time and there's no doubt they're living a very comfortable life they're buying very nice co- coffee machines and very nice houses and you know i'm talking about john will because like <laughs> <it's> <laughs> his, his house i know that it's a, i know that it's definitely doable but you're right yeah. it's gonna it's gonna it's a long route but i guess it is doing something that you absolutely adore with your life you know But yeah, I hear you. It's it's definitely a grind as well. And actually, there are plenty of people like whenever we have people on the show and they've opened their own gym, we always ask them, what's it been like? And invariably, they say, well, there was a moment where we were thinking maybe we should just close the doors. Maybe this is too hard. Like they all go through that. But if they'd survive that, then, yeah, they're living the life that they want to live, you know.
1: I remember hearing about John Will's house because I originally, actually, I still officially am under John Will, like the lineage.
0: So I moved
1: uh, from the one that I started at. I uh, got graded under I'm so I'm grading under a guy in uh, Albany, Mitsudomo, Christopher Mazzali. But he's also through the grapevine, I guess, under John Will. So but I just you mentioned his house and I remember going to a few of his seminars. And if you've gone to John Will seminars, you know that he's gonna tell you stories about his life and and stuff and him talking about the house that he's making like this is years ago when he was making it. So and it sounded impressive.
2: Yeah, he's definitely living a great life. Yeah. yeah.
0: Speaking about you, houses, when we were setting this up, you were telling us that, or you, you were saying to me that tomorrow you've got like open houses. So is that are you looking at buying a house, or do you is that your side side gig? Do well, you? They
1: raise the rent, raise the rent again. No, so,
0: all right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think we've just been dragging our feet because we both kind of got stung with real estate before, but there's no like with the deposit that we have and. The position that we're in now where we should have pulled the trigger like probably half a year ago and done mm-hmm. something. But yeah, but no, they raised the rent again. And I originally started renting this place for oh, a nice. little front oh.
2: courtyard.
1: Ooh. Yeah, beautiful. It's like, I love old houses. This is from the nineteen sixties, I think. Mm-hmm. Um but it started at 390 and it's 10 minutes from the city. And now uh now it was two and a half years ago, and now they've recently raised it to 510. So it's a substantial yeah. difference.
0: Mm. Um, okay. That's that's interesting. Prices in Perth are on par or pretty close to on par with Melbourne. Then cause...
2: oh no way. No, no. Melbourne for no? 10 minutes from the city, 600 oh, 750
0: no, bucks a week. Yeah, a week.
1: Yeah, oh, no, it's yeah. crazy. They're like yeah. lucky. Still I'm specifically lucky the guy hasn't raised it super high, mm-hmm. but um like the same thing that's happening to me now friends six months ago were saying yeah my rent went from 500 to 650.
2: yeah yeah
1: when we went to renew yeah. kind of so that's it yeah, yeah
0: it's quite amazing it's exactly yeah. Base, but- yeah
2: it seems yeah. like and and also yeah as you say you like this is you mentioned properties come up twice in this podcast because you're also saying you couldn't go compete because you were dealing with the property situation as well so it seems like yeah. property is that the one that you got burnt on
1: Oh my god. Oh, it got worse because it's it, it was still on my net bank, my portfolio. Right. Um I bought that house. It's a long story, but and it's gonna make me sound like an absolute idiot. But
2: actually I lost a hundred grand on a property. Let me just tell you that right now, bro. So you
1: you know. put extra money in a hundred grand or yeah,
2: yeah. Or like I I bought it in a relationship, relationship broke up. I bought it high, I had to sell it low. And then also had to pay for it to be renoed to sell because I'd started maintaining it myself. I started fixing oh my it myself and done damage. So yeah, my oh, brother,
1: man. I feel like we're going to connect with this. So my house was <laughs> bought up for four twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, we split up. <clears throat> I could afford to stay there, but she wanted to sell because she was worried about her liabilities. So mm-hmm. um, she forced the sale of the house. We ended up selling it for three forty six. Yeah. Um and I had been paying it off for like three years. No. Yeah. yes, yeah, Cause it took me two years to sell the house. It was weird. I don't know why it took so long, but it took me two years to sell the house. Um, and I had to put an extra $14,000 into it. <laughs> so that house that sold for three forty six.
2: Yeah.
1: It's a property estimator and on my net bank portfolio, it said that that house is estimated at, and I sold that like two and a half, two years ago. For three forty-six, it is now estimated to be worth five hundred and fifty thousand. No.
0: <laughs> oh man! <laughs> I saw that and
1: I was pointing to Sarah and I was like, just "Sad face," because we we're on the phone with the mortgage broker. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Holy this?
2: shit! Five thousand dollars. That's dance, man. That yeah. I don't ever want to look at the value of the property I lost money on. That's a great point.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like for me, yeah. It just kind of feel bad.
0: No, what are you going to do now? It always yesterday was always the best time to buy, or six months ago was always the best time. So you just got to jump in. I've just bought, and I'm we've probably bought at the peak. You know the, mm-hmm. the interest rates are going to go down, and we've bought when you know it's crazy. But I just yeah, yeah I I couldn't keep like you like keep renting and paying someone else's mortgage sort of thing. So yeah, mm, that's right. where I'm at. Yeah,
1: everyone's saying it's going to get better around the corner. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Like yes, but. There's no, I'm not going to end up financially better off or for my mental health, better off yeah. if I wait out another year and then it doesn't. And then, you know, Yeah. so I feel like it's just one of the things where with, with this kind of, with buying a house, you just kind of have to jump in. I yeah. mean, I don't know. There's no definite thing around the corner that interest rates are going to drop. There's no definite. Uh, event that's going to happen around the corner where there's going to be less demand for houses in Western Australia. so mm-hmm. that's yeah, there's- yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: now definitely not asking you to talk about your actual income, but I am wondering like the life of a head coach in Western Australia can you like is this ha- how you can afford to buy a ha- like can you can you buy a house with head coach income in Western Australia? Oh, well,
0: do you best. have another side side job or is is coaching your, your only income?
1: No, no, I have a full-time job. Uh, so I've got an ABN and it's like a sole trader thing um, mm-hmm. where I invoice the gym for the classes I teach. But no, I work for St. John of God Healthcare. Okay. I'm good. a yeah. trainer for them. So that's that's why. So I've landed that job. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what's allowed us to start seriously looking at property. But okay. no, if I was just doing the head coaching role, especially since I just invoice for the classes. No, nah, there's no. Okay. Yeah, got it. Maybe. That's
2: something you for love
1: really hustle and sell privates and mm-hmm. and mentorship programs like you're seeing all over the place. But
2: mm-hmm.
1: nah, I can't imagine being able to afford a house with just jujitsu money. Or yeah. maybe well, maybe there's something I don't maybe there's something I'm doing wrong and other guys are killing it. But yeah.
0: Uh, I think it's a hustle. I think even if you've been in the game for like, you know, 15, 20 years, I don't know. That that's what I see from over here. Um mm. so it's fair to say though that the Perth scene is pretty hot like there's sounds like there's a lot of jujitsu, and it's it, growing
1: it's getting pretty serious compared to where it was like 13 years ago when I started there's um two gyms now that are running pro classes during the day um and there are some pretty good names that are homegrown talents which is good because we used to get people visit from interstate and and kind of really used to be, in my mind, Victoria or Melbourne specifically, like the the guys at Absolute mm. were like the pinnacle when they went to ADCC. And now uh, Luke Martin and Sydney West are kind of on the scene and just winning absolutely everything. Mm. So it makes me think that like the level of jiu-jitsu in Australia is uh, raising so we can definitely compete with the rest of the world, where I don't know, maybe I was wrong, but I used to think it wasn't that. Like I used Mm -hmm. to think in my mind that the Americans and the Brazilians were probably better just as a standard, but, um, and inevitably like we are pretty far away, but I feel like Western Australia is doing similar. Like it's pretty validating even for myself when I went over and I was like, Oh God, yeah. These guys in Adelaide, even though Adelaide is a small scene, they're close to Sydney and they're close to Melbourne. They're probably going to have some kind of cross training or some -hmm. kind of a higher standard. And then I went and competed, and I was fine. Like,
2: yeah.
1: Got this theory in my mind that, um, even though I may not be the fanciest, I may not have the coolest flashiest moves in the end, everything you do to me is to get, and I've said this before on an interview is to either get me to mount or back control. Mm -hmm. And if I spend all my time defending mount and back control and you can't submit me or control me from there, then all your fancy, your Baron bowlers, your flying entries, everything, it doesn't mean anything. Cause in the end you haven't spent as much time as I have in the the kill positions, which is kind of, match with Levi from absolute. And he absolutely made me look like an idiot, but when he got to Mount, he couldn't make anything work, which I was happy with. Um, and then when he got my back for a second, he, I don't know why he did this. He ended up going for an arm bar instead of staying on the back and going for the re choke. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I felt that leg going over for the armbar, I was like, Oh yeah, nah, this is, this is going to be fine. But if I had spent more time focusing on legs, or focusing on bare bolos or focusing on truck, or focusing on Kimura trap systems, instead of working on mount and back control defense, I don't. I think that would have been a different match.
2: Amazing.
0: Where was that? Where did you go against Levi? Was that at a um on a a pro show or?
1: Yeah, it was battlegrounds. Oh, it's wow! The, awesome. Um, it's the only match on their YouTube right now. Awesome. They're kind of YouTube account, so. <laughs> It's free to watch if you want it's to watch me. get
2: we'll put a link, yeah, we'll put a link to it when we post the show for sure. We'll have to do if that. you're
0: happy with that. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I'm happy with it. Yeah, like he, full disclaimer, he does kind of do what he wants with me in terms of passing for the ten minutes. But mm-hmm. I do, I get a look at one guillotine thing, so I I do manage to get him defensive for a second there. But yeah, yeah.
2: So I'm not sure if I understood everything you said because you did give us a bit of a wall of of. Talk yeah. right there but I think you said that you have spent so much time defending uh the, being mounted and being choked that you're comfortable there and you can deal with anything but do you also work on offense out of there like do you have special off like do you encourage people do you bait people there and then attack or do you just know that you're very comfortable there so you you're not worried no. about anything?
1: You're making me sound like a, like a tactical genius. No, my, my thing was when people start training, um, especially if they're under me and then they go, Oh, it's so hard to control mount. It's so hard to pass guard. It's so hard to hold side control. I'm like, yes, it is. And I, it may be different for you, but for me, I didn't get good at that until like well into my purple belt. I was always a guard player, but no matter how bad things get, People are always going to, if you defend the sub, people are always so you defend like a cheeky little Americano or Kimura from bottom side control, they're gonna use that threat to upgrade. And where they're gonna upgrade to, they're gonna upgrade to mount or they're gonna upgrade to back control. Mm-hmm. So if you concentrate on spending a lot of time there, the the idea is the that whole uh take the beating, be the nail until one day you become the hammer. Like that's kind of how I think about matches, where if you can't put me away and you get all the good positions mentally. You're going to start doubting yourself. And the moment right. you start doubting, but it only takes me getting on top once mm-hmm. with you in defeated mindset for me to start being taking, able to take advantage of that. So if I don't, uh, so it's not like I'm getting everybody into mountain and then keeping them into a single X and then doing some fancy leg entry. It's more basic. <laughs> yeah. if, if I can make you feel like you can't submit me despite you getting the best positions, then you're going to try less, to submit me and to control me. And you're going to start trying option A, option B, C, D, and E, like all the weird exotic submissions. And that's when you're going to make a mistake. And that's probably when I'm going to be able to get on top and make something
2: work. Oh, so it's a mental game you play with people as well. It's a very mental game by the sound of it.
1: I mean, even this morning I went to um, an open mat and I got on a guy's back and I managed to get the choke wrapped, but he tucked his chin and then I couldn't get my other hand behind for the re choke. And I just remember being on there and I was like, I've got this guy's chin. I should be able to finish. And I just couldn't finish. And he sat there for like three minutes with me trying to choke him. I couldn't get it done. Mm. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I feel like that that whole idea, like it's you're not thinking mental battle, but I guess you could call it being stubborn. Mm,
0: I, like yeah. it. <laughs> yes. I like it. I like it. Me too. Me too. Um, we normally ask this pretty early on, but actually we're heading towards the end here. But tell us, Pablo, about how you got started in jiu-jitsu.
1: Uh, Mine was very unique. See, what happened is I watched The Ultimate Fighter.
0: (laughs) We've never heard that before.
2: (laughs) Actually, no, it is different. Okay, Everyone has watched the UFC, but The Ultimate Fighter, a separate series, a reality TV show, this is a little different. Do go on.
1: My friend worked at a pawnbroker, so he brought home the Ultimate Fighter season one, two, and three, and then we watched it. And then we, from the couch with no training, we're saying, "No, this is what this guy should be doing, and this guy should be doing." (laughs) From there, we googled a gym nearby. It was three blocks away, Mm -hmm. and we went down and we joined up. And we're like, "Yeah, but the gi is dumb. We don't need the gi. We're just going to do no gi until we're good enough to fight MMA." And then we did no gi for like three months. And then one day we were at a Christmas party, we were kind of drunk and I turned to my friend at the time and I was like, Hey man, I think I'm going to try the gi. He's like, yeah, I've been thinking the same thing. So we started doing the gi and then six years later or six or seven years later, I finally stepped into the cage. So it was like a massive detour from the original.
2: Wow. But yeah, started
1: with the spider.
2: You know, I think it's a good title for the show here. Drunk enough to try the gi. <laughs> I think, I think. <laughs>
0: That be that,
1: that's headline. You got it. That's
0: <laughs> clickbait. <laughs> it is. Good. Write that down before you forget it. Adam. I will. I will.
1: Um,
0: and Pablo, tell us as well about your MMA career. What's gone on there?
1: uh So it was supposed to be one and done. Because originally I wanted to fight MMA, and then as I did more and more jujitsu, it was more like I never wanted to be. uh a coach and I never wanted to give people advice if they could turn around. And this, so this is like the negative way of thinking about it, but if they could turn around and be like, well, what do you know? You've never been punched in the face. So as a way to validate if for me to be a black belt one day. So this is kind of what was going through my head. as like a blue and a purple is like, I don't want to be a black belt that hasn't been tested as much as you can get right short of going out and getting to fights in the street, which nobody should do. Don't do that. Hmm. But so that's kind of where it came from. And then, uh, George Garley was actually my first MMA fight. I don't know if he mentioned it on the podcast, but
0: oh, he, oh don't he say was no.
1: yeah. Cause he's a nice guy. He's not going to talk about how he <laughs> knocked me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, that was, it was uh, it was pretty bad. I, um, first round, I got on a single, my head went too low. And then he just absolutely clubbed the side of my face. Wow. Um, uh, with all my family and my friends and my oh, girlfriend
2: there, wow!
1: So I remember I was like real dark for like a couple of days, and then back in the gym on Monday, and then from there, so it was always supposed to be. I thought I was going to be hot shit, go in, submit one dude, be like untouchable. The guard works, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that turned into four more amateur fights, and then one pro fight, which I I submitted everyone besides one guy. I won unanimous decision.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah. So that was the pro fight was like a three days before I became the head MMA coach
2: right. of this gym, wow. which is
1: weird because yeah. I started coaching and everybody knew me as the guy who was fighting MMA, the jujitsu guy who fought MMA at Scrappy MMA. And then I moved into coaching and now there's dudes who are part of the amateur class. We're having amateur fights. And a dude came up to me recently. Is like, "Oh man, I googled you. you. You fought Quillen," and I was like, "Yeah, a few years ago." And it's gone to the point now where my achievements and the shit I'd done to validate myself for my like internally to validate myself to be the head coach of an MMA gym for grappling, it's so far in the past now that people are like, "Oh my god, the coach used to fight." That's so yeah. wild, and I'm like, "And <laughs> I feel so old now."
0: And they go, "So awesome. it worked. It totally yeah. worked then." Yeah.
2: It's awesome, man! I love how like we're like we're we're building this. Co- even this show is a piece of like immutable content that's going to be around well past all of us being alive. And it'll always be findable when people search your name or my name or Kim's name or jujitsu or whatever. Or you know, too drunk to try it in the to try uh, drunk enough to try the ghee or you know whatever. Yeah. When people search shit, like we're creating as as like in this day and age, amazing content which is a legacy which gives people lots of inspiration. Like. These people look up to you because you took those risks, got punched yeah. in the face, got knocked out, got dark, made a comeback, did more fights to to kind of get yourself out of that hole. And that is now leading people, inspiring people. So, yeah, man, that's epic stuff, really.
1: I love it. Well, that's one of the reasons as well now that like I one of the reasons I compete, well, besides it being fun is that I never want to be the person that asks people to do stuff that I'm not willing to do myself. So if mm-hmm. I want you to risk the embarrassment of getting submitted at a competition, I better be able to do the exact same thing, I'll put myself in the exact same position. If mm-hmm. there's somebody who wants me to coach them and I want them to do something in a fight, or even though they're tired or even though they're in a bad position, it's because I know it works because I've done it myself. Mm-hmm with all the same feelings of fear and anxiety and, and, and all the expectations you have on your shoulders. But if I was to do that from a place, not of experience, I get how people would be like, well, what's the point in listening to this guy? So I feel like it is not to like, I, I like to keep it all light and silly and loosey goosey, but a part of it is quite serious that if you want people to be able to risk things and to get to that uncomfortable zone where they're going to better themselves, you can't ask people to do that. Reasonably, if you aren't willing to do the same thing yourself, mm-hmm. agreed.
0: Yeah, that's that's really yeah. yeah one hundred percent with that. Yeah, no, that's good. I was going to say like I was going to yeah. ask you like for some words of wisdom to wrap up, but I think that's you've them kind right of now. like done it right there.
2: I've I got mean, some words know. of wisdom. I've got some words of wisdom. How good does Kim's hair look? She's had it done for the yes, show. So I just today
0: had my I hair now. Normally my hair is you know looking very different <laughs> on that's the mats, so you know, got to make I them I
1: oh, No, that sounds weird. That's uh, nice. Hair. <laughs>
0: it's just rare no one ever sees me look like this so yeah um do you have any we've just got one just over one minute to go pablo any um final words for our listeners before we cut out of time uh
1: no but i got one question Mm -hmm. go for it okay coach i don't know which one of you guys coaches but I call it the coach's curse where I see it so many times people with a coach and then they start rolling higher belts and then they do way worse than they used to. And it's because I think because they roll with lower belts and they let things go and then you get away with making little mistakes. Have mm. either of you found this?
2: Yes. In fact, a guy said to me the other day, he's like, he's like roll tight but soft because you're rolling too loose but soft. And I'm like, yeah, that's such a good way to put it. Yeah. Like I've got to be tight. But soft. That's my. That was my takeaway the other day. So does that? Yeah, I think you let
0: those bad habits. You can let some of those bad habits creep in because those lower belts don't always capitalize on those things. So yeah, I think. Whereas yeah, if you roll with the higher belts, like you can't make those mistakes. Mm. So,
1: yes. well, I guess it'd have to be like a last thing. I call it the coach's curse when you let your performance slip because you roll with lower belts all the time and then you mm-hmm. wonder why you're getting by the high, more competitive guys. Just be aware of it. If you are a coach, it happened to me. It. As soon as you become aware of it, you're going to stop, you're going to catch yourself and you're going to stop letting your guy get past and letting the guy get the back control because normally against the lower belts, I escape so easy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yes. don't yes. let
2: that happen. True. So true. Right. Peace out, everybody. Thank you, Pablo. Catch you soon. We'll Take see it. you soon. Take, Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.